All right, so um, if you haven't heard, this has been, it's been quite a week for our family, uh, quite a week. You guys know, I think most of you know anyway, I've been serving here as your campus pastor for four years now, a little bit longer, longer if you count those interim months. I'm not counting those because then it'd be like four and a quarter years, four and a half, a half or many. Anyway, I've been here for a little bit, and the whole time we've been driving from Waterford because I had a different job with Woodside, and so uh, we've been living in Waterford and making the drive, but that season, just so you know, um, I don't know if it's come to a close, quickly coming to a close. Anyway, that season of life is quickly coming to a close because we closed. That's really what happened. <laughs> On Monday, we closed on our house in Waterford. On Wednesday, we closed on a house that's very, 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 90 seconds away from the church. And so anyway, we're putting off moving until after Easter because Easter, y'all, Easter's busy for pastors, right? It's kind of busy around the church. And we have some painting and repairs and such to do. Anyway, we're really, really excited um, about making that move. And the whole story of how this whole thing happened is such an incredible story of the Lord's movement. I can't wait to share with you. I'm not going to share it today, but just know that that story is going to come. But we're really excited to get much closer to all of you. We're pretty fired up about it. So we're in this series where we've been talking about really that, that dinner table, right? We've been talking about that gathering around the table. And it got me thinking like of all the meals I've ever had in my life, which ones can I remember? Like specific, you know what I mean? Like which specific ones and why do I remember those meals? And I encourage you to talk about it later on at lunch because maybe you're going to be like, I remember growing up for me, I'd say like, I remember growing up, the cookouts we would do on my birthday, like something about the grill and meat, it was just awesome. Maybe, maybe for you it's going to be that Thanksgiving celebration or, or the Christmas table or you might have this story, but there's one story I want to tell you about, like one specific story. Uh, Ian, my oldest, was going into a senior year of high school. My youngest was still in middle school at the time. He's in college now, uh, but he was still in middle school at the time, and we decided as a family what we were going to do is we were going to get into the car and go to the East Coast. And the whole goal was just spend a lot of time in the car and see all the history stuff. So when you think all the history stuff, I mean battlefields and museums and homes and like all of that. Now, you can't go to the East Coast on a history trip without going to Colonial Williamsburg, right? How many of y'all been? Like, raise your hand if you've been. Yup, which means there's a bunch of hands who haven't been. A lot of y'all. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Colonial Williamsburg, there's like this little town, and it was, it was there back in the Revolutionary War days, and it's still there, and it still looks the same. So the homes that were there, they're still there. And the businesses, some of the businesses burned, and they just rebuilt it exactly like it was. And so when you go, it's so cool, because there's people walking around in costume, like actors and actresses, and they're speaking about things that happened back in the 1700s, but they're talking about it like it's currently happening, right? And so we're walking around, we're checking things out and going in shops and out of shops. And all of a sudden it kind of hits like, I'm hungry. Like you've been there, like you're like, I didn't plan for this, but like I'm, I'm hungry now. Like I'm hungry right now. I'm not hungry in 10 minutes. Like I'm hungry now. And I'm looking around my family. They're hungry now. We're really, really hungry. And so I'm like, we got to find a place to eat. And I look and I'm like, that looks like a food place. And so I walk up. I wish I could say that I pre-planned it. Because I love when I pre-plan the cool things. You know what I mean? Like something satisfying, like I pre-planned it. This is going to be great. And it's great. That was not this. 
This was, I didn't plan it. I'm just hungry. And so I walk up and I ask the woman on the front porch, because like this house porch thing. And I ask her, hey, like, do you guys have food? And she's like, do we have food? We have to have food. George Washington's favorite place is here whenever he's in town, he loves to stop by. I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing there. I'm like, no, really, though, you got food, like good food? And she's like, yeah, come on in. So we go in and we sit down and I will never, ever, ever forget it. It was, I remember I had root beer. I don't know why I remember that, but the root beer was delicious. And I remember the floorboards and I remember the tables and I remember laughing until my sides hurt. And I remember the lanterns. I have no idea what I ate. But here's what I can tell you. It was one of the most satisfying experiences ever. It was so, so satisfying. You know what I mean? Like just the company and the, the environment. And I spent way too much money. I always should look at the menu. That's what I learned. Always look at the menu before you go in. Because, um, yeah, once I got in there and saw the menu, I, do remember, I don't remember what I ate, but I remember I paid a lot for it, whatever it was. Like that's what I remember. But it was just, it was out Standing. I think that's really what this series is driving at, isn't it? Because if you've wondered, like, man, this series seems different for Woodside. Like, all this talk about food and the table. And just consider this. In Psalm 63, David is praying to God. He's worshiping. And he says this. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Or in Psalm 107, the psalmist says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. In other words, both these psalmists are saying this. God, I've had some wonderful experiences around the table. Some incredible experiences with some incredible people. And it is good. And I have tasted some good foods. I mean, really good foods. But Lord, none of that will satisfy my longings like you do. That's what this is driving at. Because see, in the book of Luke, again and again and again, Jesus fulfills his mission around the table. That so oftentimes is where it happens. But for us, my hope is that we continue to see also that our cravings, our longings, our ultimate experiences always should go back to Christ. Take your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, where we're continuing this series called Soul Food. Again, in the book of Luke, you see so many examples of Jesus fulfilling his mission around food. Now, I've talked about those times that are prepared, but remember when I was walking around uh, Colonial Williamsburg, like there was that experience that I had not planned for. It just happened, right? It just happened. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to see this unplanned event, and yet I'm going to say this is probably the, if not the most famous, it is one of the most famous examples that you see in Scripture of Jesus when it comes to food. But here's the thing, oftentimes, I think we struggle with what it means to be satisfied. I do, I think we really struggle with that. Like we know, because you're in church on spring break. Like, so I know that you know your satisfaction is supposed to come from Christ Jesus. I know that. Some of you are on spring break in Tennessee right now, because I saw it on Facebook. And, And even in Tennessee, On spring break, you are here so you know that the satisfaction is supposed to come from the Lord. But sometimes I think we wonder, like, really, is Jesus enough? Like, seriously. Like, get rid of the church for a second. If I'm just at home all by myself, is Jesus really enough to satisfy? And that brings us to our big idea. Our big idea is that Jesus is enough to fully, that's an important word there, to fully satisfy everyone who comes to him. Jesus is enough to fully satisfy everyone 
who comes to him. So we're going to look at three different ways that that happens. First thing that we're going to see is Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Let's look down. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 10. Luke 9, verse 10. Luke writes this. He says, On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And so this happens right after the 12 have returned. The 12 were sent out on what we call a mission trip, right? They went out and they were preaching the gospel and they were healing diseases. They were casting out demons. And now they've returned, right? They've returned because they're, they're finished with their, their mission. And they're like, we're excited because now we're going to get to tell Jesus about everything that happened. So we're going to withdraw a little bit. We're going to rest. We're going to relax. We're going to have a debrief time with Jesus. But the crowd, when they see Jesus and the disciples go, they're over here watching Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus is leaving. We ought to go with him. We should just, we should just move on down the road. So they're like, hey, come on, everybody. So the crowd just starts to follow Jesus. So they leave their hometown, and they're just following him now, just walking to see where Jesus goes. Now, you know how the disciples must have felt. They had to be a little frustrated with this, right? I mean, you've done the thing where you work real hard to hit your goal and your benchmark, and that season where it's a lot of work, you take that next Friday off, don't you? That's what you do. You intentionally schedule a day off because you're like, whew, I need to rest. I'm tuckered out. It'd be like a Ben and Madison. You know, Ben and Madison go and do Hope Week this summer where they're with teenagers all week long, doing mission work all week long. Y'all, they don't have to tell me. They're not going to be there Monday. They're going to take the day and they're going to rest and they're going to spend time with their family and they're going to debrief everything that happened that week before. They need a little time, right? That's what's going on here with, with Jesus and the disciples, it's been a really, really busy season. So now they're withdrawing. They're pulling away, trying to get away from the crowds just a little bit. Now imagine, let's take Ben. Let's imagine it's been Hope Week. He's been with teenagers all week long. Imagine Monday morning hits and 80 or 90 students show up at his front door on Monday morning. And they're like, hi, Ben. Hi. So uh, we just thought you'd lead a Bible study or something. We thought, you know, you would just do one of those games with us, you know, those funny games if you do that. You can imagine how you might respond if that happened. Right, your work shows up at your door Friday morning. Right, but look at the response of Jesus. Look how he responds. This is so beautiful. In verse 11, at the end of verse 11, it says, Jesus welcomed them. He's been ministering. He's been working. The disciples have been busy, and yet it says Jesus welcomed them. He's never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Church, we are two weeks away from Easter. Just two weeks. And I want you to know that being two weeks away from Easter, that maybe you're looking at the Lord thinking, well, the Lord has plenty to do right now because Easter's coming. That's kind of a big deal for the Lord globally. You know, it's a big deal. So maybe right now the Lord doesn't need to hear the burdens of my heart. Maybe he doesn't need all my junk dumped in his lap. Can I tell you, he, he's not too tired for you. He's not too tired for you. I don't care what you're going through. I'm telling you, he's, he's not too tired for that. He's not too exhausted. He's not too worn out. He's our heavenly father. He invites you to that place of bringing your cares and your burdens to him. Do you see how he's responding to these crowds as they're trying to get away to rest? 
He welcomes them. He's going to welcome you. But this also should inform how you and I respond then. Church, this is not just what can we get from God. This is the calling, the missional calling that you and I have. This should impact the way that we see the people around us. Again, I know you're busy. I know you got stuff going on. I've never met an unbusy American. I've never met them. Like, we're, we're, we're busy. I get it. We have stuff going on. But I'm telling you, there was, this, there was a responsibility that you have when it comes to the people around you. How are you viewing them? So when you hear the challenge to invest in people's lives, to invite them out for a cup of coffee, to invite them over for dinner, to intentionally spend time talking to them, how do you respond to that challenge? Some of you, your thought is, well, I've got too much going on right now. I'm too busy right now. I'm too stressed right now. I don't have enough right now. I'm telling you, the challenge that we see from the response of Jesus is to change that thinking. It just is. We are called to live as Christ. That's the calling that you and I have as Christians. And if we're going to live as Christ, we have to see his posture towards the crowd, even in those times where it's been a busy season. Next, you're going to see that Jesus is never too powerless to provide for all those who need him. Look at verse 12. It says, now the day began to wear away. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, had them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. So the crowd left their own towns and they're following to this place called Bethsaida. And it's at this point that they're actually kind of in between, right? They're, they're in a desolate place is what scripture says. Middle of nowhere is how they say it down south, y'all. Just the middle of nowhere. Like there ain't nothing around. That's where they're at. And you know that feeling like when you've been with people for a while and you're like, well, it's been fun, but I'm kind of hungry now. Like, you know that. It's, it's when someone comes over, like maybe early afternoon, after lunch, you know, they come over and they're hanging out. And maybe you're just talking about life, you're playing cards, you're doing whatever. And this is why some of you are so scared to invite people over, because sometimes people won't leave. You know that. And so, so it's like when they're over and they're just sitting there talking, and you do one of these. You do the stretching on. Oh, well, sure is good. Like, this has been so much fun. That translation is, I need to cook. And I, I bought dinner for three, not dinner for 13. Like, I didn't buy for a dinner party. I just bought for my dinner. So I don't, I don't have food for you, too. You know, so you need to go somewhere else to eat, right? And you don't say it like that. Like, you would say it nicely. But it's that sort of thing, right? It's that internal thing of going, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't have dinner for that many people. That's what the disciples are doing with Jesus. Jesus, it's, it's getting late, Lord, and all these people are here, and we're in a desolate place, so they're going to have to go somewhere out there to get some food, right? I, so it's not this mean-spirited thing. It's just like, we don't have that much food. Lord, like, you got to do something. So, so you should send them to go get something. And Jesus challenges them and says, well, you feed them. You're the 12, right? You're the 12. You've cast out demons. You preach the gospel. You feed them. And so they're like, well, we scrounged up some loaves and fish, but that's not going to do the job. They look over at Judas. Can you see the scene? They're looking over at Judas. He's got the money because he, he carried the money. And they're looking at Judas going, unless, 
we have some money and we just want to buy every, it'd be you going, unless we just want to buy some pizza for everyone, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings or something, get some barbecue. We got, you know, it's one of those scenes like, Jesus, unless you just want to, it's a lot of money, but like if you wanted to buy food for 5,000, we could do, and look at Jesus's response. I want you to have them break into groups of about 50 and just, just sit them down. This is almost like Jesus saying, you forgot, didn't you? You forgot who I am. How's it possible? You just wanted to debrief casting out demons and preaching the gospel, but, but you forgot. Go back to the book of Exodus. Do you remember daily bread, manna? God provided manna from heaven. Don't you remember that? The people didn't do that. Do you remember not too long after that, the quail, the meat that was provided? Do you remember that? Do you remember in 2 Kings, God just taking a, a few loaves of bread and feeding 100 men? Do you remember that? Don't you remember time and time and time again? I provide you just don't, you don't get it sometimes. Have the people sit down in groups of 50. Can you see the scene? Like, this is awesome. This is what's happening. He's breaking them down. It's, it's like this phrase, uh, eat like a king. You've used that phrase before, right? Man, we ate like kings when we went to that place. Jesus is about to let them eat like a king. There's only, um, there's only been a few times in my life that I've met someone that would be considered royalty. It's only, it's only happened twice. One time, Amy and I, 10 years, it was our 10-year anniversary, I think, 10-year anniversary, we had flown to London, which sounds really cool, but it was actually really, really cheap because we were already in Europe working, and so to fly to London was, was a cheap trip, and so that's why we picked London. And so we went to London, and we're going around doing the touristy thing, right? And we're on the subway. They call it the tube. And so we're on the tube, mind the gap. You know, we're, we're on the tube, and we're riding around in London going to our next place when this woman gets on to the tube and sits down. Now, she is dressed fancy, Y'all, she's dressed real fancy, and it's clear like she's from India. You know, she's got like all of that stuff going on, and she's all shiny and glittery, and I can't help myself. Like, so for those of you who like to keep to yourselves on vacations, you would never want a vacation with me, because I'm going to find everyone who looks interesting, and I'm going to talk to them. I really will. And so I'm, I'm sitting next to Amy, and Amy's like, mm, mm. And I'm like, you know, we're going to, and I'm scooching down there by her, you know, I'm like, Hi, how you doing? You know, and, and we just start chatting. And as we start chatting, she is super, super friendly. And she's telling me she just came from talking to the royal family and that she's a, a princess, an Indian princess. And then she starts telling me, yeah, my palace is a very famous palace in my area. Mother Teresa's been there. Michael Jackson's been there. I've had Princess Diana there. And she's name dropping all these people. Now, sometimes... I'm just going to let you peek behind the curtain into my heart a little bit and see some of my not awesome spots. Sometimes when people tell me stories, I look at them and I smile and nod, and the whole time I'm thinking, right. You know, sometimes. And uh, now I always believe your stories, just so you know. But it was just this person telling me Michael Jackson's been to her house and she lives in a palace, you know. And I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. And then I'm kind of looking at Amy like, you're right, I shouldn't have talked to her, you know. And I'm thinking, we should get off at the next stop, regardless of where the next stop is. This is a good exit. And, and she's just she's the friendliest person ever. Like, she is so friendly. Now, all of a sudden, she reaches down to her little rolly bag. She had this rolly bag that she was taking with her. She reaches down to her rolly bag. And, okay, time out. Back in the day, people used to have to take pictures like this. And, and they would take those pictures, like, to Walmart, and they would develop the film. That's something they used to have to do. And with that developed film... 
and I'm being real sincere, like that's something we used to have to do. There'd be like a stack of like printed out photos and you could look at your photos like this. And if you like some of the photos, you could have them put into like a little, like a little flip book, you know, with, with plastic sheets so you could protect it. So time in. So she pulls out this little flip book of photos and she starts flipping through, showing me her palace and showing me, yeah, see, here's me with Michael. And he was a really nice young man. And we're flipping and Mother Teresa, let me tell you, so, so gentle. But I don't think she was very comfortable whenever we set up the banquet room and she showed me the banquet room and she showed me this. It was amazing, y'all. It was so amazing. It's just Amy and I sitting on the tube, chatting with an Indian princess, you know, and, and seeing how people who eat like kings really do. I want you to know when I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about King Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. And it's so important that you know that because I'm not foolish enough to think that every single person who came in, every single person who's watching online, I'm not foolish enough to think that all of you came in thinking King Jesus when you answer the question, who is Jesus, some of you, and I know this, some of you are sitting there thinking, I don't know what I think about Jesus. That's why I'm here. Maybe Jesus is some type of, of just myth. Maybe. Like it sounds kind of made up. It's kind of weird, all these stories, you know. I don't know. Some of you, you come in and you're thinking, I think Jesus is, is a teacher. I think he teaches us valuable things. But Savior of the world, I don't know, I'm still working on that. I just want to be crystal clear that when I'm speaking about Jesus, I'm talking about King Jesus, who when he provides, he provides in the way that a king provides. That's what's happening in this moment. That's what you're going to see unfold. And it is powerful and it is beautiful. One, one other quick thing. I know it's also possible that some of you are here and you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's most in this room. Most have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But somewhere along the way, you got distracted, didn't you? You got distracted and you started to buy into this thinking that it's Jesus plus something else that would bring satisfaction. Like you're here and you're like, okay, on Sundays, Jesus satisfies. And for eternity, I believe that I will go to heaven because of my faith in Jesus. Like, that is satisfying. But it's the other six days a week you have a problem with. You are living your life for some of you in a way that says, I really believe that it's following Jesus plus something else. It's going to be following Jesus plus show me the money. That's what I need. I'll find satisfaction in growing my business, growing my organization, growing my financial wealth. I don't care what relationships I have to break along the way. It's worth it if I can get to this goal because you have no idea how I grew up and I'm never going there again. That's some of you. Some of you, it's the satisfaction comes from the approval of others. That's why you do social media the way you do. Like for some of you, you'll post something. If you don't get 100 likes in the first five minutes, you delete it because it clearly wasn't worth it. You know, or if someone doesn't like it, then you're trying to figure out their motives behind and it eats you alive. For some of you, you want the approval of others, and so it's your workout life, you know, and you just, you don't just work out to be healthy, you go that next step that this is all about getting people to tell me how great I'm looking. Now, let me just say, working out's great, being healthy is great, being connected relationally with others, even those who are at a long distance, that is great, those are all good things. Working hard at your job is a good thing, it's when you find your satisfaction somewhere other than Christ that's the problem. So I just pray that if that's you this morning, that man, today you slam on the brakes and you course correct. 
Because in the end, all of those other things, I guarantee you, all those other things are going to let you down. All of those other things, they just become idols in your life. They're going to distract and trip you up in your relationship between you and the Lord. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Don't let obstacles come up because of your own decisions between you and the Lord. I need to go back to preaching now, though. Uh, Third point, Jesus is never too limited to satisfy all who hunger for him. Look down at verse 16. It says, And Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Are you seeing this? So Jesus tells everyone, sit down into your groups. He gets everyone sat down, and it says that he gave a prayer of thanks. So not, not a long prayer, but he wanted to make sure, like, we're going to stop, and we're going to thank God for the way that he provides. And it says he gave. But that word gave, I'd underline it in my Bible. Because it's not the past tense. It's not just like gave. he gave. He gave it once, and it was done. No, this is this verb tense that, uh, that you see in the Greek that says it's like he gave, and he gave and he gave, and it's progressive, it continues, it moves forward. He gave, and he gave, and he gave. Are you seeing the scene? Jesus fills up this basket, gives it to the disciples, says, hey, you go that way and start to feed these people. And he fills up this basket, you go and you feed these people. And you go, and the people just start eating. Over 5,000 are here. You got 5,000 men who are here, and they're eating. And the baskets are going out, and he's giving, and he's giving, and he's giving. And the people are eating, and eating, and eating, and he's giving, and he's giving, and he's giving. And this just continues. Are you seeing this? This is awesome. Talk about eating like kings. At the end, it says that they ate until they were all, do you see it? They were all satisfied. They were all satisfied. And after they were all satisfied, there were 12 baskets left. I love that. It's like for each one of the disciples who told Jesus why, yeah, we don't have enough for this to happen, they all had to carry around a basket full of bread now just to remind them, right? Just to remind them like, yeah, no, I got this because I'm Jesus. You know, that's kind of what's going on here. I love this so much. He didn't just produce, he produced more than enough. That's what we see. Now out in the book, or out in the lobby, there's a book that we've been giving to you. I think we might still have some copies I don't know. If not, uh, make sure you ask Kristen next time you see her. We can get you a copy of that book. But I just want to read to you a little section that the author calls The Theology of Leftovers. Listen, listen to what he writes. He says, The day is coming when he will give them, as he gives us, another impossible task to proclaim repentance and forgiveness to all nations. What can we do? Jesus asks us what resources we have. And he asked us to have faith. That day, the disciples took home 12 baskets full of leftover food. The impossible task was not only completed, but it was over. I love this. It was over completed. And those 12 disciples are now 2 billion disciples and counting. The disciples thought their five loaves were a finite resource that couldn't be shared. 5,000 people later, they still had 12 baskets full of bread. So can you, can you reach your neighbor with the gospel? Can you pluck up the courage to tell your friends about Jesus? Can you feed 5,000 people with five loaves? Oh, we could never do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. 
Jesus says, what do you have? Offer that to me and let me use it for my glory. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the Lord is stirring in you. What I do love is you are unique and wonderfully made. There's no one on the planet like you. He has never created anyone like you. He knows you intimately. You were created for mission. You were created for purpose, to know him and to make him known. And so some of you, man, the Lord has been stirring in you. I know I've got a group of people who have said, I'm so passionate about fostering and about adoption. Pastor, what am I supposed to do with that? You know what they've done? They just started to meet together just to pray. I would encourage any together, right? Just, just start to see what the Lord does with that. Let's see where it goes. Some of you are passionate about cars. I don't know anything about cars. I drive a Prius. You know, I don't know anything about cars. But man, maybe some of you are like, you know, what we need to do is just meet in the garage with some others who like cars and we just need to restore one together. We need to invite others. We need to change oil for people. We need to, let's, let's just do something that's Christ-focused with this. As we press into each other and press into the Lord, I don't know what your passion is. I don't know what the Lord is stirring for you, but I'm going to double dog dare you. Stop being afraid and take that step in ministry. Be bold enough to say, Lord, here's what I have. What can you do with it? We've been talking about best invite. I'm going to challenge you in that again. We have two weeks left. Who's that person you should take to coffee? And just say, I just want to hear your story. I want to hear what's going on in life. I don't have an agenda. I just want to hear what's going on. All right, here's what's going on in my life. Share it together. Invite them over for dinner. Easter's coming. They know you go to church. They know you're going to say, hey, if you don't have any place you're going for Easter, we'd love to have you. We have three services this year. Not counting Good Friday. We have a, an Easter service on Saturday and our normal Sunday times. Which then brings up this. Maybe you're in this spot of going... Everything about this scares the fool out of me. And pastor, I, I want to want that. I, I, I just, I'm not there yet. Here's what I want to encourage you. You can still be part of this. Guys, it's spring break and we're still pretty fooled up in here. Over the past weeks, you've probably noticed parking's getting more and more challenging, right? It's getting hard just to find a spot on a normal Sunday and it ain't Easter yet. So if you're not inviting anyone on Easter, will you do me a favor? Just come Saturday. If half of this group would come Saturday night, that's going to make a big difference for us. Because probably those who are inviting others in for Easter, this is going to be one of the two times they bring them probably. So would you just consider, like, if, if you have the flexibility, would you just consider going on Saturday night, going to the Easter service? Or if you're like, well, we're already booked and we are bringing people, would you consider serving on Saturday I know that Brad is still looking for people for his team just to welcome people as they come in. One of the things I love about Romeo, I've heard this so many times, is how welcoming it is, how much like family it is. Okay, well, let's not go like, we're like family unless you come Saturday. Y'all are on your own, you know, like, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Like, let's make sure we're welcoming people well. And so I know Brad's looking for people for his team. I know Tracy's still looking to fill a few slots. And so... If, if you just consider being part of that, it'd be a huge help. Because Easter is that time. Easter is that time where we're going to get to show people again, as we do every Sunday, what it means to walk from darkness into light. You know, we've got 18 people scheduled for baptism now. It is going to be one incredible celebration that weekend. 
Uh, I hear there's a few more we're still in the interview process with. We'll see what happens there. But I'm just highly encouraged. I'm highly encouraged because this isn't just something we read. This is something we do. Love, I believe, is a verb. Love is an action. We want to be so active in our love for the Lord and our love for others. Father, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us again to this place. Lord, I believe that those who are here, those who are watching online, Lord, it is it's not an accident. It's not chance. Lord, you've invited us to this place. So I pray that your word doesn't return to you void. It's going to accomplish the purpose that you're sending it out. God, I pray that our, our hearts have been fertile soil for your word. So for those that maybe have been struggling in an area of sin, of idolatry, Lord, I pray that we're able just to, to immediately turn from that. Lord, that our satisfaction comes from you and from you alone. You're such a good God. And the way that you provide for us, the way that you're patient with us, Lord, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your grace in our lives. I pray we continue to be people who realign our lives to your ways. That we continue to seek to see people the way that you do. That, Lord, we're very quick to rearrange our lives to meet the needs of others. And in that place, Lord, that you're glorified. Because all this is done only for you and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.